um, and help us to, um, as we hear the message, uh, just help me to speak words that reflect your will and your heart and help um, those who, who are here um, hear from you in, in all of this, that, that your word um, might um, find, a, find a place in their hearts. In Christ's name, amen. So uh, Thanksgiving was what, three days ago now? Am I right? Four? Is it three or four now? Depends on how you count days. Um, is everyone recovered out of their food comas? <laughs> Has anybody finished the dishes? <laughs> Have any of y'all finished your Christmas shopping? <laughs> One. <laughs> I saw them out on Black Friday the other uh, Friday. <laughs> and they had a cart full, so they're done. You guys win. You're the only ones, probably in the state. Um, I, and, and so, like, as, we, as we're, we're beginning to look at this, I'm, I'm going to explain. Um, Luke, the Gospel of Luke, we're only going to be looking at the Gospel of Luke this, this next four weeks. And, and there are four Gospels. There are four accounts of Jesus' life. And actually, if you read them one after another, they read a little repetitive because they're talking about the same stuff. Um, because there are basically four accounts of, you know, like Matthew was an eyewitness, and so Matthew wrote an eyewitness account. And um, John was an eyewitness, and so he wrote an eyewitness account. And Mark saw part of it, and so part of his is an eyewitness, and part of it is, like, notes that he took from Peter while Peter was preaching because he was, like, Peter's assistant. Um, Luke is is the oddball in the group. Um, I didn't move to the first slide on purpose, but whatever. Uh, (laughs) Leave it up now. Um, Luke is, is an oddball one because um, Luke isn't an eyewitness at all. And the other thing is he's not Jewish. He's the only not-Jewish guy who wrote a book of the Bible. Uh, or Actually, no, of the Bible, period. <laughs> Definitely of the New Testament. And so he brings kind of an unusual perspective. The other thing is he was paid by a guy named Theophilus to go and research the life of Jesus. And so, like, what Luke gives us is... Um, he gives us an investigative report. Um, and so he goes and he interviews different people. And so there are all these little nuggets and bits that are very unique to Luke. Um, and, and being that he wrote it relatively late, there were churches established everywhere, like around the world. And folks wanted to know about Jesus' childhood because there was some information, but not as much as people wanted. They wanted more. And so Luke gave us a lot. And the other thing he did was he worked songs into his writing. And there's some reasons for that. I'll get back to it. But the first two chapters of Luke has four songs in it. Um, where, I mean, it's like a musical. Anybody watch musicals? Where's Renee? Um, I don't like musicals. But, but apparently in, in these types of films or, or whatever, like, you know, you'll be moving along and then all of a sudden somebody will break out into song and there's a big choreographed dance number because that's realistic. Um, <laughs> I do it all the time. Um, but <laughs> I believe you do. Um, <laughs> it must be fun to work with you. Um, <laughs> but but um, so, so Luke, you know, he writes this story, and, and every, you know, probably 30 verses, they break out into song. And, and there's some reasons for that, and we'll get back to it. But for the next four weeks, we're going to look at the four songs that um, Luke writes into his gospel. Um, and these are four early church hymns. These are like the, the first, first church hymns where people would get together and they'd worship, probably not in a room exactly like this, but, but you know, they would gather in somebody's you know, living room that was converted for this purpose and they would, they would worship. And these were songs that they sung. And they all have a huge importance. And so we're going to kind of dig into that. Um, 
but of course, this being what three days after Thanksgiving, now I'm going to throw my slide up. Um, it means that we're doing Christmas music like three days after Thanksgiving. And actually, this is late, right? I mean, like, what was the earliest you guys started hearing Christmas music this year? <laughs> I see eyes rolling. <laughs> like, I, I'm thinking two weeks ago I heard on the radio my first Christmas song. Anybody else kind of early? And it, it gets... Did I? Oh, I did. Yeah, I did. But that doesn't count. Because <laughs> it's my house. I'm not trying to sell you anything with Christmas music. Um, but, but Christmas music, I mean, it does get earlier and earlier every year. In fact, I, I read about a Canadian pharmacy, part of a chain of pharmacies, where the, the manager got in trouble because they were playing Christmas music at the beginning of November, and he, he came into work and he said, you know what, this is ridiculous, turn it off. And he, the company order was to start Christmas music in early November, and he said no, and, and he was reprimanded by his place of employment for you know, not playing Christmas music two months early. Um, and, and so we're going to start looking at, actually, the tradition of this. This is a tongue-in-cheek moment. Um, Christmas music starts really early in the Bible. Really, really absurdly early. And, and that's kind of the theme of the one we're going to look at today. Um, so, again, here I'm going to have a little, little bit of overview. First two chapters, Luke, our author, was a doctor, right? Doctors are relatively well-respected in our culture, right? I mean, you go to school forever. Um, in the ancient world, though, doctors were not well thought of. It was not like the profession that it is today. In fact, most doctors were slaves, they might be slaves now, I don't know, they work a lot, um, <laughs> and they got a lot of debt to pay back. But most doctors were slaves, and people would pay to have their slaves educated to be doctors, because if you owned like 200 slaves, it was a good idea to have one who could take care of the rest. Does that make sense? And so Luke, um, there's some folks who can, you know, think that Luke may have been a slave originally, and actually there's a theory floating around out there with no proof to support it, but that Theophilus may have been Luke's master at one point, and freed him after they both became Christians. But, again, no actual support for that. It's one of the opinions as to what might be. So Luke um, is writing this investigative report. He's a doctor. He's very well educated. And as far as books go, um, at the time, everybody in the world spoke Greek, right? It's like now everybody speaks English. And if they can't, they should. Um, <laughs> and we should expect them to. In the ancient world, everyone spoke Greek. And everyone was expected to speak Greek. And Greek culture was considered to be sort of the height of everything in the world. And it was called Hellenism, by the way. Um, I was trying to think of somebody named Helen so I could throw out that joke, but it didn't happen. Um, so Luke's writing is Hellenistic. And that means, like the Greeks, they would do things like write songs in the middle of a story. You know, where you'd be writing and all of a sudden the characters would all break out into song. It was sort of a cultural thing. It was very normal. And it was expected. Um, sorry, I got distracted there for a second. Um, a lot of information about the infancy um, and, and, and whatnot. That covers everything on that. Um, we got a big chunk of text we're going to cover fast here. We're going to be looking at Zechariah. Zechariah was John the Baptist's dad, right? Anybody not heard of John the Baptist? Okay. I'm going to give you the summary anyway. John the Baptist was um, the guy who came before Jesus and went around and preached and prepared folks for the coming of Jesus, right? Because Jesus' ministry was really short. 
It was about three years in the ancient world. That's almost nothing um, for, for a rabbi. And in fact, actually, in that three years, the impact he had on the world is, like, is, is almost beyond you know, measure. It's, it's ridiculous. So John the Baptist went ahead of him and did all the preparatory work. Um, he preached. He got folks ready. And when Jesus showed up, they were supposed to be primed by John the Baptist. Um, and, and John, John was, was kind of a wild man. We're, we'll get to it. Um, so we start out with his father. Um, in the days of King Herod, this is starting in 5, going to 22, if you're following along. In the days of King Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. Now, I'm going to hit pause here. Anybody know who this guy, Abijah? My pronunciation is terrible. I'm awful with Hebrew. I did very badly in the class. Um, anybody know who this guy is? No? All right. <laughs> There's a reason for that. Even in the ancient world, people would hear this, and they'd be like, oh, those guys. Um, there was a group of people who were allowed to be priests, and there was this terrible like invasion that happened in the Old Testament, and a lot of those guys died. And all of a sudden, they don't have the right people to be priests, and they don't have enough of them. So they went along and they said, we're going to just name some new families, and we're going to have some folks who will be priests, and their kids will be priests, and their great-grandkids will be priests, and so forth and so on. And, and they're, they're sort of the stand-in because we don't have enough. Zacharias from this group. And they were not well thought of. They were not paid for being priests. Um, there was specifically in the Talmud, which is like Jewish writings, there's this discussion about whether or not they should pay these guys. And they decided that because they're kind of like, like hayseeds or rednecks or what is that, are those, does that make sense? These guys are like rural and they're poor. And so the other priests kind of looked at them and they're like, you guys are lame and we're not paying you. Um, because if we pay you, we're paying you with temple money and it's holy money and you guys wouldn't even know what to do with holy money. <laughs> so they're kind of jerks, right? Um, Zacharias from this group, um, and he, he wouldn't have been well thought of. So if you were going to, by the way, um, well, anyway, um, he and he had a wife from the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Um, now, Elizabeth was barren, which they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly and in the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. See, I told you so. And they were both advanced in years. Now, in the ancient world, if you didn't have kids, it was considered awful, right? Like, if, if you didn't have children, first off, when you got old, there was no one to take care of you, right? Some of you guys are thinking, I don't want my kids taking care of me when I get old. I'm afraid of them. Um, <laughs> but, but in this world, like, it, there was no retirement home. There was no Social Security. There was no nothing. So when you got old and couldn't work anymore, you had kids that took care of you or you were out of luck. Um, in this case, they had no children. Um, it was so looked down on that it was, it was often said that if you didn't have children as a married couple, it was considered a sign that God didn't like you. <laughs> I mean, they were really serious about it. You had kids or you were an object of contempt contempt, and they didn't have children, and they were both quite old. Um, now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. This is his once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to do this. The guy who went in to burn incense, it was like the 15th part of the daily service. They did this every day. This is the only time Zechariah was ever going to get to do this. Once. 
Um, he's probably in his 60s. It's, it's considered very honorable, but it was not something you got to do over and over again as a hayseed priest, right? And so Zechariah is there. He's doing his once-in-a-lifetime, I get to offer incense. And they did this every day, mind you, so there's a big crowd of people outside waiting for him to come out. They had a set order that was very intricate, and you didn't mess it up. If you messed it up, it was sometimes could result in you dying. Like, it was, it was serious. And they took it very, very, very seriously. Um, so he's in there. He's there to do the burnt offering, or the, burnt of the, the burning of the incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. So everybody from the city has showed up for this, right? He has got hundreds of people standing outside waiting for him while he's inside of this building by himself doing the offering. Okay? No pressure. Um, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel and fear gripped him. Now, there are a couple of explanations for this. Some people say, well, he showed up and there was an angel there, and that would scare anyone, right? I'm going to make a different suggestion here. He's supposed to be in this room alone, right? No one else goes into the temple except the guy who's doing the offering at the time. He's walking in a place that's relatively dark by himself, where he's supposed to be by himself, and he runs into a stranger. Would that freak any of y'all out? You go out into the barn and there's some guy hanging out. Um, and to the right of the altar of incense would mean that he was by the Holy of Holies. Once a year, they went into the Holy of Holies. You never went in there. And so this guy is standing right next to the curtain, like, like ready to step in kind of thing. And, and like this was a big deal. You didn't go into the Holy of Holies. You didn't even go near it if you could help it. Once a year when they did go in, they tied a rope to the guy's foot in case he died while he was in there so they could pull him out so they wouldn't have to go in and get him. Um, and actually, they put bells on his clothes. And once the bells stopped ringing, they thought, oh, man, he died, so they'd pull him out. So this guy is where he's not supposed to be. He's violating the temple order, a huge, huge deal, his once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And there's a guy there messing it up. And so he's troubled by it, right? Um, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you will give him the name John. You will, have, you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. There's a couple of things to this. First off, this is the most strange pregnancy test confirmation ever, right? <laughs> um, angel shows up and says, I know you want a kid. You're going to have him. It's happening. And he says, you know what, not only that, he's going to be great in the sight of God. And he says he's not going to drink any alcohol. What does that mean? It doesn't mean alcohol is evil in all instances. Some people argue that it's not what it means. He is going to be of a specific order of priests called Nazarites. Um, and one of the things that went with being a Nazarite was you didn't consume alcohol. Um, there were other Nazarites in the Old Testament, and most of them were terrible. Like Samson, we think about Samson, we think about this guy who's big and strong and all that and never cut his hair. Not cutting your hair was part of being a Nazarite, right? He also wasn't supposed to drink alcohol, but he got drunk all the time. And he was supposed to remain celibate, but he wasn't. Let's just say that. Um, <laughs> you know, Samson was a terrible, terrible Nazarite. Whereas John, we find out later, is perfect at it. 
he does an amazing job. And Jesus goes on to say that he is the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. Wait, he's in the New Testament. Before Jesus prophets, um, he, he is the best. And like the angel says that, your son is going to, he's going to rock. He's going to be great at what he does. And so um, he, he gets this information. Um, and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make the Lord or make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Um, he basically says, your son is going to make the way ready for Jesus. That's his job. He's going to go around and he's going to prepare everyone and folks are going to be ready. And when Jesus shows up, they're going to, they're going to have all the stuff they need. Not knowledge, mind you, that's a part of it, but a bigger part of it is their hearts are going to be in the right place, right? They're going to be repentant. They're going to turn to God. They're going to look for him. Um, Zacharias said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him and said, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I, will be sent to, and I have been sent to speak to you and bring, this good, bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when, things, when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. So he's there. He says, wait a minute, how do I know this is true? And the angel says, you know what, because you doubted me, you can't talk again. And he becomes mute, and he's not able to talk for like six months. Every wife's dream. Um, it was the first Christmas present, anyway. Um, <laughs> um, but, but Zachariah, all of a sudden, he can't speak um, because he questioned. Now, if you were, is anybody Jewish? No? All right, if you were Jewish, one of the things that would jump off the page at you here is Abraham, who's the first Jewish man, and the one who God promised all of these great things that he would do to the, for the Jewish people, was like 90 when his wife had the baby. And the angel who showed up and said, hey, you're going to have a baby, Sarah laughed at him. <laughs> and actually, the angel was like, stood up and says, you know what, because you laughed, you have to name your child Isaac, which means laughter. Um, in this instance, he says, because you doubted, you can't speak. But it's a parallel to Abraham. Why? Because everything that happens in the Old Testament, this is important, everything that happens in the Old Testament is a big arrow that points to the coming of Jesus. It's all the story of Jesus before it happens. And the story of Abraham is very much the story of Jesus before it happened. And so this turns up, for anyone who's a, Jew, a Jewish person, would read this and be like, oh my gosh, look at that. Um, the people were waiting for Zacharias who, and, and were wondering in, at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and kept making signs to them and remained mute. So he's in the temple, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, hundreds of people waiting outside for him to come out and lead them in prayer. And what happens? Can't talk. Um, and so he steps out and he's like waving his hands and everything. And, you know, um, now every day, like when I get up and pray, it's no telling what I'm going to say, right? Like there's no telling what's going to come out of my mouth at any given moment. For these guys, they had a very, very, my wife laughed at that. They had a very, very strict order as to what they would say. The prayer was called the uh, Shemona Ezra, right? And there were like 20 of them. And it was recited exactly every day the same way, and everybody knew what to expect. And what happened? He didn't walk out. 
And when he did, he didn't say anything. And so this probably freaked everyone out. Um, We're going to jump ahead now all the way to verse 63. What happens in the meantime is Mary finds out she's pregnant. We'll talk about that next week. Um, But we come back to to, um, Zechariah, who's no longer able to be a priest at this point because he can't talk, right? And if there's anything ministers do, we don't stop talking. Um, And so he's there, and and the baby has been born, and they're about to circumcise him on the eighth day. For the Jews, this was like one of the most important moments of your life. You circumcised your baby on the eighth day, or it was considered a mark on that child for the rest of his life. Very strict rules, and there's nothing the baby can do about it, so it's kind of unfair. But (laughs) the baby, on the eighth day, he's there to be circumcised, and they would name him at that point. And it would be expected that Zachariah would name him. Zachariah, because that's what you did. You named your kid after yourself, which was very difficult later on because you had almost everybody in the country who had the same names. But that's an aside. Um, So they're there for the the bris and for the naming. um, And he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows. His name is John. And they were all astonished. And at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he began to speak in praise of God. So everybody's shocked they named him John. The whole room, they're like, oh my gosh, he did that? Um, Very cultural thing there. Um, All of a sudden, he can talk. Um, Fear came on all those living around them, and these matters were talked about in all the hill country of Judea. All who heard them kept in mind saying, what then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly on him. Everybody knew it was coming. John the Baptist, by the way, is talked about in ancient literature like all... Jewish literature, and then um, writers from Jews. He's mentioned in several spots. He's a very prominent figure outside of the Bible still. Um, So we jump forward, and all of a sudden, Zacharias, we find out what he said. And what he said is is one of the first church songs, right? So right here, it would be like we insert, O come, O come, Emmanuel, right? Which which Larry's saying for us. Like it it would be right there. Um, And his father, Zacharias, is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesies, saying... Um, I broke this up by the verses. It's really hard to do songs. Um, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. This is in present tense. This is important. He's not saying God is going to save us. He's saying God has saved us, right? This is not one day God's going to fix things. It is God has fixed things now because like God's time was coming. Jesus was about to be born. Everything the Old Testament pointed forward to is about to happen. Um, And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us and in the house of David, his servant. Um, A horn of salvation, what on earth is that? Um, It's it's in reference to, um, it's actually like an animal metaphor. I guess some animals have horns. I don't know anything about that. You hang them on your wall maybe. Um, this horn of salvation is a, like reference to a very strong animal, right? And it's a reference to this idea that God saves us. It's also the prayer Zacharias was supposed to say when he walked out of the temple. <laughs> so the first thing he does is he says what he was supposed to say. Um, and he goes on and he explains how it fits. This is, again, like that's the uh, Shimona Ezra. It's, it's not a biblical thing. It's, it's a temple thing. Um, but what... Luke does here is he tips his hand and he says everything in the temple was about Jesus and so this first song 
raised a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophet from, from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Um, from the prophets. So you've got about, Genesis was probably written in about 2000, actually, well, penned, penned to paper at about 1000 B.C., right? Maybe a little more like 1200 B.C. Um, so you have about, 1,300 years of people talking about Jesus before he was born. Like, the beginning of November is early for Christmas music, right? This is really early. Um, And he starts pulling out all these phrases from the Old Testament that talk about Jesus before he was born. Um, So he goes on, he says, Salvation from our enemies in the hands of those who hate us. At the time, Israel was living under oppression. There was a foreign nation that came in and beat the tar out of them and took over. And the people hated that nation. And they were ready for God to show up and kill them all. Right? God is going to save us from them. And they kept trying to rebel and they'd lose and it was awful. And this, this hands of our enemies, a lot of folks would have like heard this and they would have been like, yeah, we're going to beat those bad guys. Not what he's talking about. He's talking about our sin. How many of y'all, let me put this on y'all. How many of y'all, and this is me too, mind you, um, have had, like, enemies in your life, people who were jerks and, like, tripped you up and tried to make your life miserable? A few of you? Um, I'm going to say from my perspective, in my life, the stupid things I do to screw me up, to screw me up, are worse than anybody has ever done to me. Anybody else that way? When I sit down and I think back on the dumb stuff I've done that have messed up everything, I think, I'm my own worst enemy. What he's talking about here is he's talking about our sin. He's saying, listen, all of that stuff about enemies in the Old Testament, it was about enemies then. But now you need to understand our enemies is, is the junk we do. Is, and, and it's not just the junk we do, it's the junk that imprisons us. Like, anybody ever feel like you can't stop being, being bad? This is what he's saying. Listen, Jesus comes to save us from this so that we can get away from this like, slavery to the bad things we do. We can be broken free from it. Um, he goes on. He says, by the way, both of those phrases are in the Psalms. I'm, I'm, I, I'm not using specific references because there's a lot of material to cover and I didn't want to. Anyway, these are both lines from the Psalms. He's taking lines from the Old Testament that everybody would have known. Why? Because you had to memorize the Bible if you went to school. Like, I don't know, who's of school age here? Who's a boy? No, um, Michael. I'm going to pick on Michael because he's not paying attention. <laughs> Oh, you're taking notes? <laughs> Why? No. Um, <laughs> um, Michael is, I don't know, you're what, 25? 28. Um, so Michael is a 28-year-old. He would have started going to school as a small child, and by the time he was 12, he would have memorized the first five books of the Bible. You know the names of them? <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> he would have memorized word for word, and if he stayed in school... By the time he was done, in his late teens, he would memorize the entire Old Testament, right? And so folks heard Zechariah say this, and they knew what he was talking about, right? And so, like, he he includes these lines, and people would have recognized them. um, To show mercy towards our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham, our father. Um, We have pause here again. Again, all three of these lines are from the Psalms. Um, so he's using other people's wor- words from the Old Testament. He's saying, look, this stuff was predicted. Um, 
What's the promise that he made to Abraham? Well, he made about ten promises to Abraham. The one he's referring to, the last one that God made, he said, listen, the whole world is going to be blessed through your descendant. Who is Abraham's descendant in singular? It was Jesus. Jesus was this blessing. And so like, he says, listen, it's coming, and God made this promise like thousands of years ago, um, you know, 15, 1,600 years ago, and it's coming. It's about to happen. This promise is about to be fulfilled. Why? Because God has mercy on us. Anybody ever think about God and think that God is just about ready to squish you? <laughs> really? No one? Like, we, we kind of get into this mindset that God is always there sort of watching for you, and he's got, like, this, you know, badge and this truncheon, and as soon as you get out of line, it's like, bam, you know, take that. Um, like, God is angry at us constantly, and it's not how God is. God is loving, and he has mercy. And so he looks at us, and he says, I know you screw up, but I'm going to find a way to fix it. And he made a promise about fixing it thousands of years before Jesus even shows up. And it's all about his mercy. It's about him loving us even when we screw up. Um, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, meaning our sin, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. Um, anybody seen um, the Ten Commandments, I think is the one? Um, Charlton Heston was in it. It was a minor film, I don't know. Um, Prince of Egypt. It's in, the, the story of Moses is the story of the Jewish people being slaves in Egypt, right? And Moses shows up and takes them out of slavery. And he, over and over again, he says, let my people go, right? Um, the phrasing here is taken out of the Exodus. What we're seeing here is he's saying, listen, it's going to be like Exodus, except that sin that you live in, that you soak in, that's miserable, that torments you, that you can't quite get away from, the loneliness and emptiness of being separated from God, all of this junk, he's going to take you out of that. Um, when Moses talked to Pharaoh, he said, hey, let my people out of slavery so they can go and worship God. The phrasing here is, is kind of ambiguous, like you don't see it in it, but the serve, you know, they may serve him without fear is the rough equivalent of what was said. For Christians, worship, we sing and that's worship. We live worship, right? When I treat you the way God wants me to treat you, that's worship. When Renee shows up and does Good News Club with, I don't know, like all 60 of those children, that's an act of worship because serving God is a part of worship. And so like, like part of what Zachariah is saying here is, listen, the early Christmas songs were the Exodus. When God brought you out of slavery, it was preparation for this way, 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 way before but it was always coming. Um, and your child will be called the prophet of, and, sorry, and you, child. So he's talking about Jesus, and finally he gets to John the Baptist, <laughs> his own son. But he starts talking about Jesus, he gets to John, he says, And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord and prepare his ways to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Meaning, John you're going to tell people about the forgiveness that's coming. You're going to be Jesus' announcer. It's like um, I, I, when important people walk into a, a dinner party and the guy steps ahead and says, so-and-so is here, and then they walk in for their entrance. That's John. John has the, the blessing of being the guy who announces Jesus' coming, um, that he would forgive their sins. 
Um, because ultimately, I may have enemies in this life. I may have people who mistreat me. I may have people that, that say nasty things to me or stab me in the back or whatever. I may have people that try to mess up my life, but my own sin is the one I take with me after this life is over, right? And the freedom we receive in Christ is that, forgiveness, grace. God loves us, um, and all we have to do is be repentant, and in Christ we're forgiven. Um, and this is what we sing about, by the way. It's not just the birth of a baby. It's the coming of salvation. Um, because of the tender mercies of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in the darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet to the way of peace. Um, this is from Isaiah. Okay, Now, Isaiah is like a very long book in the Old Testament. Um, a lot of prophecy in there. Isaiah is probably one of the most impressive prophets. But this people living in the shadow, like the shadow of death, anybody ever feel that way? Like you're walking along in life and it seems like there's no light to see ahead of you? And it seems like everything is miserable and all of the junk is hanging on you and you can't get away from it? He's saying, look, that coming of Jesus, this forgiveness that's coming, it'll be like a sunrise for a guy sitting in the dark for a guy who's lost in the dark. And that sunrise will give them the path to get where they're going, which is to guide our feet to the way of peace. That's peace between us and God. That's a peace that brings peace in our hearts because um, we don't have to fear him. It's a crummy thing to wake up in the morning and say, God is probably ticked off at me, isn't it? It is a wonderful thing to wake up in the morning to say, God loves me so much that when I was in my darkest, worst place that I got myself into, he sent his own son to be tortured and take my punishment because he loves me. That's a peace that surpasses all understanding. Um, the final thing, he's done with this song, and the narrator, this is Luke, says, and the child continued to grow and to become strong in the spirit, and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. He was probably a member of what's called the Essene community, what he's tipping the hand to is John was really good. He was really religious. He was really great. Um, and even then, Jesus says, anybody who has faith in me, even though John was the greatest man who ever lived, anybody who has faith in me is forgiven and brought to a place where they're even greater than John. Um, we sing because that's huge. Anybody deserve to be looked at as great by God? No. But we can have that. And we sing and praise God for it. During um, Christmas, I have to hop down here. Um, during Christmas, those of you all who were with us last year, um, we, give out, uh, we give out stuff. I like giving out gifts. It's my love language, I guess. Um, hanging in the back, we have ornaments with music in them. Um, and, and the reason that we picked this for this week um, is because I always think, anybody ever been to a museum? I love the museum. Where is Francis? The, the museum. I love going over there. And they have these things behind glass that are so neat. And they remind you of things that used to be. I love old record players. And they've got like an old record player behind a glass panel. And you can look at it and you say, that became my record player. You know, <laughs> like one, once upon a time, it was a little tube that you could break. And now it's like this thing that's so much better. Um, we look back at what God promised in the Old Testament, what Zechariah sang about in this passage, right? We look back at it and we see something great, something that, that's from way back when but pointed forward to now. 
part of the song of salvation, maybe. Um, in our little glass too, balls, there's, there's music. Um, as you go today, I, I, it's our gift to you. Um, um, take one with you. Um, look at it and remember, God lined up the whole world in a perfect way to save you from you. Because he loves you that much. Um, and all of the stuff that happened before, all of that stuff that's behind glass in the museum, it's to point us forward to Jesus. Do we have a last song? Okay. So we're going to close in prayer. And what I want you to do, as you're heading out, um, I want you to pick up an ornament. And I want you to look at it. And I want you to say, Christmas, not about shopping. It's about God giving me the gift of freedom and salvation. Feel free to stay with us and decorate this afternoon as well. Um, I'm going to pray and, and we'll do a blessing. Heavenly Father, I praise you and I thank you for the gift of Jesus. I thank you for the gift of salvation. I thank you that, that Zacharias pointed us to all of these folks over the years that, that told us about Jesus before he ever showed up. And I thank you for a gift that was so wonderful that the whole of history sang about it before it ever took place. Um, and they were singing about it not knowing why they were even singing. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, uh, I'm going to close with a blessing.